This is the Best Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to Best Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zubin, Managing Editor of Best Insurance Professional Resources. Pleased to have with us today, Dr. Steve Wood. Steve is a litigation consultant at Courtroom Sciences, a national litigation consulting and litigation support firm based in Irving, Texas. Dr. Wood uses his social psychological expertise to help clients understand the juror decision-making process and maximize the likelihood of favorable case outcomes. He also assists clients with case-related activities, including pre-trial research, witness effectiveness training, case theme development, supplemental juror, juror questionnaires, and jury selection. His work has also been published in various peer-reviewed academic journals, as well as several scholar, scholarly magazines. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Ed, thanks, John, for having me. Today's discussion will be on the advantages of early case management. So, Steve, for our first question, what is early case management? So when I talk about, or at least when I reference when I, early case management, what I'm referring to is this idea of getting out ahead of, ahead of things on the plaintiff's bar and you know really developing your themes early on in the case, assessing the aspects, the strengths, the weaknesses of your case early on rather than waiting right to the eve of trial, and then also making sure that you properly prepare your witnesses for depositions. So those are really the key three things that you know, I think of when I think about and talk about early case management. And why is early case management so important in cases? You know, I think the, re- the reason why we talk about it, you know, to use kind of a, a boxing analogy is that, you know, you, you can't wait till the sixth round to start throwing punches. You know, you can't play defense for, for five rounds and then all of a sudden in the sixth round say, OK, now I'm going to come out. Now I'm going to start go- going on the offensive, because when you start doing that, you've already been behind the eight ball for so long that, your opponent has the advantage over you and has has kind of started ahead of you and you're trying to play catch up. And, you know, plaintiff's bar is very, very good at doing this. They're using case early case management often. You know, I, I hear and talk to plaintiff attorneys and, and they talk about how, you know, they've focus grouped certain cases four, five, six times, you know, and sometimes they'll even be doing this before they even go into depositions with experts. And they go in knowing, okay, what are the key aspects? What are the key admissions that they need to get? What are the key themes? What are the key pieces of evidence that they need to pull out of from those witnesses? So they're going in much more informed into even the deposition. You know, and the other thing of why early case management is so important, because from a defense side, is that when you have time when you have had you know the ability to look at cases early is that you have time to adjust your case theory you have time to you know create new exhibits because what we often find and when we when we're doing focus groups or when we're doing mock trials is that jurors will bring up certain aspects and say you know i would like to know more about a certain topic i'd like to hear from a certain witness you know has anybody looked at this has has a demonstrative been made for this certain aspect and when discovery is closed, a lot of times we you know we have to talk with clients and say, hey, these are all the things that jurors wanted to see. And then we get, well, that's great, but discovery is closed. So, you, you know, you miss the opportunity to really beef up certain things that could be beneficial to your case just because 
you didn't realize those were aspects that jurors found to be so important. So like I said, it puts you behind the eight ball. But if you can do that on the upfront, it gives you so much time, so much flexibility to be able to to tweak things and, you know, create things that give you the strongest case to put forth at trial. So, Steve, what pre- what prevents insurance companies and their insureds from performing early case management? I think a lot of it ends up coming down to just kind of a, a lack of information or a lack of education around the importance of it, which is why I think this podcast is great and getting out there in that, you know, having your listeners kind of get a sense for understanding, oh, okay, this is what this is what it is. This is why it's so important. You know, and I think right now it's just people don't understand the value of it or just haven't been able to experience to that level of the value of early case management. And I think one of the other things we see too is I often hear from, you know, attorneys or or insurance companies is, well, we, we have attorneys and they prepare witnesses. Why, why do we need to hire someone to come in you know, who, who's not an attorney and come in and prepare the witnesses. That's what my, my attorneys do. I mean, can't my, can't my attorneys do that? And the short answer is no. Um, and the reason why I say that is not because of really any deficiencies on the part of the attorneys. Um, we work with some really world-class attorneys and, you know, they just have a different skill set. Like that's what we come in. Like I said, I'm not an attorney, I'm a psychologist. And I come in and bring my kind of social psychological expertise to to the deposition training process. So what I always talk about is it's a partnership between the attorneys and me where they focus on the legal stuff. You know, I don't talk about anything as far as from the legal aspects or any sort of motion to eliminate uh, topics or whether they should or shouldn't answer certain questions, you know, because it's privileged or any of those types of things. I kind of leave that all to the attorney. But I do the psychological aspect, which most attorneys just don't have the training and expertise in. So, like I said, it's another thing about education to say, hey, it's not because your attorney is not good at prepping witnesses. It's just the skill set that's needed nowadays in the current landscape needs to be more psychological in nature uh, as, as well as legal in nature. And I think one of the other things is that so often we get locked in kind of into our own thoughts about our, our case. You know, this is the idea of, uh, there's a psychological term called confirmation bias. And what confirmation bias really is, is where you kind of get a, you have an opinion that you believe and support. And then what ends up happening is you go out and start seeking out information that supports that belief. But then what also happens is you have other information out there that might disconfirm that belief. But what you end up doing is you focus all on the positives, all on the things that support your your thoughts and just basically poo-poo at it or ignore and dis- disregard that information that doesn't support your belief. And that can become extremely dangerous in litigation because what ends up happening is you get blind to your own case, your own case strengths, and then you don't see the weaknesses or you see the weaknesses and say, oh, we can easily clean that up or Jurors aren't really going to care about that. That's just a moot point. Like, I'm not even going to worry about that because it's so minor. What we end up finding out is what you believed was a minor point, what you believed was not something strong, you know, on behalf of the plaintiff, you find out later that it actually was. So, like I said, so many times we get blind to our own perspectives and can't think outside of the box or look at the other side of the argument. And I think the last one is 
it's just a fear of spending money, obviously bringing in us, you know, and, and working with witnesses or doing mock trials or doing focus groups costs clients money. And a lot of times people, you know, don't, don't want to spend the money because it's hard to justify, okay, I'm going to spend upwards, maybe a hundred thousand dollars to prepare for this case, to, to prepare my witnesses, to do a mock trial, to do a focus group. I could save the hundred thousand and not do it and just take this to trial and, and see how it goes. So it's kind of that idea of, you know, I always look at it from the insurance perspective is that the claims adjuster is the one that, you know, is spending the money. It has to write the check in order to do it. And then they have maybe somebody, you know, higher up going, why are we spending so much money on this case? Why did you just spend a hundred thousand dollars to do the witness training, to do the mock trial? And then, but for example, that might go to trial or it might go settle and it settles for an amount less or they go to trial and they get a defense verdict, but no one comes to the claims adjuster and goes, Hey, nice job spending a hundred thousand dollars. Cause look at the great outcome and patting that person on the back and essentially sharing the trophy with the claims adjuster so that the claims adjuster can say, see, look at all the work that I did, all the things that I did helped this out. What they end up seeing is the hundred thousand dollar check that they had to cut. And you know, it's just a disconnect. So I think that's another thing is that, you know, that, that fear of spending money kind of prevents people from, from wanting to do it. So for those companies that do spend the money, those insurance companies and, and insureds, when they do perform this early case management, what sort of benefits do they realize? Well, one of the biggest things is you just, you, you have a better understanding of what your case weaknesses are. As I said before, so many times we get kind of locked into our own thoughts. And I think, you know, it's always, I always enjoy doing mock trials or doing focus groups and, you know, talking with the clients afterwards and having them say, gee, this aspect, I never had thought about it. You know, I thought we knew all the key points. I thought we knew all the key issues of this case, but I realized there's two or three things that we had never thought about. So I always enjoy hearing them say that because like I said, it gets them to a different mindset and says, okay, now we're going to tailor things and tweak things that we had never thought about in the first place. You know, one of the other things is we see a lot is this effective witness deposition testimony. You know, we, you, a lot of times you, I've worked with witnesses before where they might have not gone through our training system or not worked with anybody prior to a prior deposition. And, you know, they, they said, I've been deposed two or three times and all the times before it was a 30 minutes, pull me into the room, but next door before I got deposed, you know, and just did the really, really brief introduction to deposition and how to, how to do it. And then they go through our training session and say, man, where was this at when I was being deposed before? I wish I would have had this. This is so much better. I feel so much more prepared for my deposition. And then you also have the people who are the first time deponents who are going into it and they're going through the training and it helps them to alleviate some of the concern about the deposition, helps them feel more prepared as well. Because some of the times we deal with people who are highly anxious or highly upset or, you know, argumentative, and they need that time to kind of vent and be prepared so that when they go into the deposition, all those things don't kind of come out at the time when they're being deposed. So, like I said, a, a lot of that stuff we see is when it ends up being all said and done, you have a very clean deposition transcript. A lot of the tricks and traps that opposing counsel is trying to get the witnesses to fall for, they don't fall for the traps. 
you know, an opposing counsel gets frustrated, upset about it because it's not going the way that it wants, but the witness is telling the truth, being effective. It's just not going the way plaintiff counsel wants it to. And the other thing that does too is, you know, it gives you and provides you leverage in settlement negotiations. You know, when we talk about whether it be effective witness deposition testimony or whether or not it ends up being focus group or mock trial results, you can go into mediation, you can go into settlement negotiations with information ready to go. So that when plaintiff counsel says, I, you know, I, I am saying this case is worth X amount of money, defense counsel has, you know, proof to show, no, 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 no. I myself have done focus groups. I know you've done two or three of them and you have numbers. I myself have done some and I can show you that our numbers are a little bit different. So it provides that leverage in settlement negotiations to not just go in and be bullied by by opposing counsel and get them to, you know, uh, essentially settle for an amount that's much higher than you really need to. I'm glad you mentioned that aspect because I know the trend really for a good number of years now has been to avoid the trial process and to go to settlement. So do you lean that way? Do you, um, do you pitch that or, you know, do you think there's an advantage to one as opposed to the other? So I think there's sometimes where there's some, some cases that should be settled. Um, I think there's ones where there's just, there's some bad facts as it relates to the case and, and the better option is to settle. But at the same time, I think I've worked on several cases where I think that you know, if, if they were to take it to trial, they had a good chance of, you know, getting an offense verdict. Now, the problem with that, right, is, is the defense bar is inherently risk averse, you know, by nature. And a lot of times it's the concern about, I don't want to take this to trial because if I get hit for a nuclear verdict or if I get hit for a large verdict, it's going to end up on the front page of the news. So there's been several cases where, you know, I've even heard clients say, you know what, we're going to take this to trial. I mean, I'm tired of being the, the punching bag. I'm tired of being the ATM machine for the plaintiff's bar on these cases. We're going to take it to trial. And then you end up hearing that they ended up ultimately settling the case. So there's times that I wish defense bar, I wish the defense would take cases to trial a lot more because I think a lot of times there's ways that you can, you know, uh, position your case so that you can actually get a defense verdict. And I think what it would do is, is also send a message to plaintiff's bar that, hey, you know what, we're willing to go to trial. We're willing to take this all the way versus we're, you know, just feeling like, you know what, let's just settle this. Here's a bunch of money to settle this and make it go away. So I guess really it just depends on the case, depends on the case facts about whether or not I'm really strong one way or the other. Are there any particular types of cases that lend themselves best to early case management, Steve? I would say the short answer is all of them. Uh, a lot of times when I'm when I'm talking to attorneys or I'm talking to clients and they say, you know, well, we don't have anything right now, but we'll let you know when we have a, a case big enough to get you involved. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is I'm not really clear on what threshold is. And I know the threshold is going to be the different for, for each client, for each uh, attorney and stuff. But the truth of the matter is we do a lot of work in Indiana that has a lot of, has caps on medical malpractice cases. And we do a lot of witness training in those cases. So my argument is always, I don't think that there's a case that has a certain threshold, a certain amount or damage request that would then say, okay, this fits what we should do. You know, this is, this fits what we should bring a litigation psychologist or a litigation consultant in on. You know, I think any case, and you know, maybe you're not going to do the full-blown mock trial or the full-blown focus group, 
Uh, but I, we do probably about 50 to 60% of our work is just in witness training, which is a lot more reasonable and can be just as, you know, can be effective as far as making sure that if you do go to settlement and, you, and that's kind of where you're looking, like I said, you, you, your settlement negotiations are in a better position when your witnesses aren't saying and doing bad things in their deposition that provides leverage and firepower for opposing counsel. Steve, any final thoughts or suggestions for our viewers about managing their litigation? I think first and foremost, just be, be proactive, be proactive, be proactive, be proactive. Like I said, that's what plaintiff counsel is doing. They're getting out in front of everything. Can't be reactive. Defense bar cannot be reactive. They have to start getting out and, and doing things a lot sooner, a lot quicker. And be ready to throw the first punches, I would say. Be ready to be the one who goes on the offensive and is the one who's the more aggressive in, in the way that they're working up a case. And, you know, be open to being wrong. I think that's one of the things is that so so often, as I said earlier, we get locked in on our thoughts and beliefs and just aren't willing to look at it from another perspective or aren't willing to give certain aspects of the case the credence that they're deserved. Uh, and, you know, like I said, that's where you learn to strengthen your case is by being open to being wrong, being open to see the other side and being open to admit, yeah, these are some bad facts. These are some strong facts. And then, like you said, once you're able to do that, then hopefully you're able to take a step back and say, okay, how do we defend against these if there's a strong defense about them? Steve, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you. You've just listened to Dr. Stephen Wood, a litigation consultant at Courtroom Sciences, and special thanks to today's producer, Frank Bowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for Best Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ambest.com slash professional resources. If you have any suggestions for your future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professional Resources features valuable insurance industry content, including searchable profiles of client-recommended insurance attorneys, adjusters, and expert service providers. Brought to you by AM Best, known worldwide as a respected source of insurance industry news and information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.